Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Mums seem to have a better idea of what to do. In general, it seems that dads are the ones who are feeling overwhelmed. And, um, and, and what I mean by that is like, they're not doing as good a job. They're struggling to engage. They're, uh, you know, working longer hours. They're, they don't have the emotional connection that they're suddenly. Uncertain, overwhelmed, trying their best. This is how fathers today are feeling about raising their sons. In his new book, The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character, author and pastor John Tyson has the antidote to that today on Connections. He walks dads through practical steps to mentor young men who know what they believe know who they are, and will stand up against the negative cultural trends of our day. We're joined today by John Tyson. He is the pastor of Church of the City in New York City, as well as the author of a new book titled The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character. So uh, let's start there, maybe, John. You're a pastor, you're a church planter, but now you have this new book out, and it's not just any book. It's called The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide yeah. to Raise Sons of Courage and Character. Uh, uh, sounds really interesting, too, how you came about making the book with research. But I'm wondering, what made you want to write this book on fatherhood in the first place instead of, like, ministry in New York City or something like that? Yes. Well, i would written a previous book about that. Um, the, the, the real motivations for me were, number one, um, I had a son who was quickly becoming a teenager, and I felt overwhelmed with the task. So it was basically out of, like, parental love that drove me into it. Most dads with teenagers have that horrible feeling of, like, how am I going to get into the valley of the shadow of the teenage years? Then as a pastor, I saw a lot of young men um, disproportionately marked uh, with father wounds. And I really realized there was a larger issue that was at stake here. And then with the things happening in our culture, you know, toxic masculinity, questioning gender, what does it even mean to be a godly man in today's world? So I wanted to address, yeah, the, the personal, the pastoral, and then what's happening in the culture at large. My son's only two years old, and I'm already kind of scared of the teenage yeah. years. <laughs> you, I get um, that. You used research from the Barna Group. Uh, why did you decide to incorporate that, and what kind of stuff was it looking at? Well, uh, you know, um, David Kinnaman, who's the president of Barna, is a friend of mine. And, you know, offline and behind the scenes, we've been talking for years. We both had teenage sons, and we were trying to sort of, like, help each other, you know, work out how to parent. And... He said, hey, I've got, you know, I run Barna. What if we did research on the state of fatherhood in the U.S.? And I said, he said, that would take your general ideas that we're working through and sort of like add a research background to them. So I was like very, very open to it. And, uh, yeah, the research shows sort of what we think, which is basically 50% of fathers feel unprepared to help their kids move through these years in a significant way. So when you, when, if you would have been in a room, half the audience feeling like, gosh, I really need help with this is... This says a lot about the state of the world today and uh, also how much opportunity there is to equip men. It's interesting. We, uh, a majority of our guests are females. A majority of our guests yeah. are moms. We, we don't often talk about fathers. Why is that? Okay. Why do we stray away from that so much? You know, honestly, I mean, I think moms are probably on the whole doing a better job than dads, to be completely honest with you. Um, you know, I mean, all of us are affected by our families of origin. Our parents play, you know, a massive role in our life. Um, and I think, you know, it's pretty clear what it is 
that a mother, um, you know, brings to the table. Um, I think my my mum was such an incredible woman. She sort of had an intuitive understanding. And, um, yeah, I don't know if it was like the fact that she literally grew the child, literally made the human being inside of her and has this disproportionate connection. Mums seem to have a better idea of what to do. In general, it seems that dads are the ones who are feeling overwhelmed. And, um, and, and what I mean by that is like, they're not doing as good a job. They're struggling to engage. They're, uh, you know, working longer hours. They're, they don't have the emotional connection that their son needs. So I often hear um, from mothers in our church, and particularly when I was a youth pastor, they would say, um, you know, dad just seems distracted and overwhelmed and disconnected. Do you have any advice about how to re-engage my husband in this task? Now, again, we're talking about such large generalizations. There's some measure of truth to them, and there's obviously mums some mums who struggle and some dads who are doing a remarkable job. But as a whole, I think mums have done better than dads, particularly in recent history. We used to, you know, going from childhood into manhood, I feel like there used to be a lot of rites of passage into manhood, Mm. kind of like, yeah, for lack of a better term. And that's kind of gone now, isn't it? Do you feel that plays a role? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, they, so all societies have traditionally had, uh, societies before ours, had like six distinct stages of male formation, separation from the childhood environment, initiation into a journey, a period of formation where the tribe's story, religion, and expectations were given to the young man, an ordeal or challenge of some kind where he was sent out to figure out if he possessed what it takes and had really learned these lessons, a recognition of the community of men, and then a reintegration into larger society to use their strength as a gift to serve the society they were a part of. And we basically have none of that now. We have some sort of scattered ones graduating from school. There's some big first moments, getting your license or heading off to college. But they're not logical, they're not sequential, and they're not done within a, a community, a larger community of men. And so as a result, the, one of the biggest things we see right now is that young people are trying to self-initiate. And there's a lot of harm in self-initiation. That's why there's, you know, we are the most anxious generation in history. Since 1990, New York University did research and showed that was the point where those initiations sort of ended and helicopter parenting began and anxiety and depression grew by 80% in the next generation. And it's only gone up from there because young people are not, they're not taught or given a pathway to develop themselves, challenge themselves. So they are getting overwhelmed more easily. What does that self-initiation look like? What can be some of those things that we would see and recognize now as that? Uh, Well, I mean, um, you know, uh, sexual experimentation, you know, addiction Mm -hmm. to pornography, trying to understand, you know, relationships Uh with the opposite sex. Um, Testing of violence, you know, substance abuse. Some, some of these things, are, you know, the, the teenage brain is not is still developing along the way as it is. And so you see those normal teenage power, uh, behaviors, but without guidance. You know, a young person is dealing with, it's a confusing time. I mean, we all remember it. You're dealing with, you know, sexual energy. You're dealing with a, a lack of identity. You're dealing with a desire to be liked and perceived. There's pressure for the job you have to do. And you're basically asking, will someone guide me and help me figure out to do with all, what to do with all these changes? And, and without mentors, people are just doing that themselves, struggling through various jobs, struggling through school, struggling through relationships, struggling through addiction struggling through competition, struggling with their grades, all in a desire to sort of 
say, form me and guide me and lead me into adulthood, but no one's there doing it for the most part. How do we get those father the father roles back in then? How do we get fathers to feel like that is their role to be there and to um, help their help guide their their young men a lot down that road? Yeah, I think you know there's there's uh, there's several ways that you can motivate people. I think the worst the worst ones like the guilt and shame seem to be pretty poor uh, motivators. I think it's appealing to. Um, I think there's sort of like a desire in every father's heart to get it right. All of us have been wounded by our own fathers in large and small ways. And the desire to like bless and pass on blessing to our kids and not pass on the brokenness we've received. So, yeah, I think part of it is reminding fathers in an inspirational way. It's a, it's the right amount of challenge without um, any sort of condemnation. Um, and I think it is, hopefully, I, I've written this book to give them the tools that they need. Most dads I meet want to get it right but don't have a clear plan. They're like, no, I, I feel the pressure, but what do I do? Well, you know, <laughs> I did basically a, a decade's worth of reading and summarized probably the ideas of 50 books into one book that has a practical plan to be able to do it. So, yeah, they, they need they need the, the vision for it. They need the tools to be able to do it, and they need the right kind of motivation behind it. Want to get it right, but have no idea what they're doing. That sounds familiar to this father. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, even as a mother, I also struggle with that myself. Um, yeah, yeah. You say that there are five types of fathers. Tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Explain more about that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, this was, I mean, this is just sort of like my own observations, but they're pretty informed observations. I've been a pastor now for 25 years and, seen a lot of people come through the church, worked in student ministry for almost a decade. This, uh, yeah, the first kind of father is an irresponsible father. This is a, a dad who has a kid and just walks out and fails, fails to take into account the obligations, the sacred trust they have to raise their kid and be involved in their life. Then you have ignorant dads, and then these, these are dads who just they're, they're sort of clueless. And they, they don't know how to do the task. They don't understand any sort of like developmental psychology or, and they just project into the life of their kid. Then you get inconsistent dads. These are dads who are sort of like torn with either their own brokenness or their own ambition where they're in and out and children thrive in consistency. So having an inconsistent dad can often do a lot of damage. Then you get involved dads. And these are, this is like your typical, like good dad, you know, has the sex talk, teaches the kids how to drive, um, shows up for the games and really wants to be present. But there's a layer above that, which is the intentional father. And and the intentional father, as opposed to the involved father, does this. He specifically tries to understand the keys to his kids' hearts. Mm -hmm. And then he builds a customizable plan based on who they are, where they are, and where they need to be, and then takes them through it. Involved dads are a gift. If you've grown up in a home where your dad is involved in your life, it's, it's, you compare that to the other kinds of dads, it's remarkable. But involved dads tend to deal with generalities, general wisdom, general truth, general worldview. And sometimes that's not enough. One of the things young people want more than anything is to be understood. Do you see who I am? Do you see my uniqueness? And so reaching into their heart, establishing a relationship where you see that and then building a plan for it, that to me seems to be, you know, another level of fathering and something that certainly I think we're all called to aspire to. 
Yeah. As soon as you said that, that just struck me. I'm like, oh, that is like so obvious, but not and and genius, right? Like instead of trying to force my son to be something and parent that way, like who is my son and how can I encourage him and walk alongside him as a dad and who he, so how do I find out who my son is? (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, Stephen Covey has this, um, this one, uh, story in one of his books, and I, I've thought about this hundreds of times. He says once uh, a dad comes up to him after he speaks at an event, and he's very, very frustrated, and so he's asking Stephen Covey for advice, and he says this: "I don't understand my son; he won't listen to me." And then he says, "Say that again." He says, "I don't understand my son; he won't listen to me." And Stephen Covey says, "Say it one more time." I don't understand my son; he won't listen to me. And he says. Well, as far as I can tell, in order to understand somebody, you have to listen to them. And that's really it. We we spend a lot of times prescribing, dictating, explaining, but we don't spend a ton of time listening, you know, listening behind the lines, listening for strain in the voice, listening for repeated phrases or continually bringing up friends or events that happen. These are all clues that I think young folks are giving us to, to say, I don't even know how to process this, but it's subconscious, like on a subconscious level, it's occurring or on a conscious level, I'm saying this so that you'll pay attention to it. So I think a huge part of it is being willing to listen. And then you have to have rhythms of time where you're getting together where they feel it's a safe relationship. So they're willing to pour out their heart to you. So yeah, it's like regularly, whether it's once a week or once a month, it's having sacred time carved out agenda free, literally to grow in your relationship and pay attention to what's happening in their lives. I really like that. I don't think we're taught that as men, especially as fathers, that we're typically taught like, I'm the man, I'm the dad, I'm in charge, listen to me, right? And yeah, it can get very authoritarian. And then why aren't they listening to me? I've yelled and screamed (laughs) at them for 20 minutes. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Tell us about the uh, severing dinner. This sounds uh, interesting to me. I'm getting a little worried. Visions of like Abraham and Isaac going (laughs) out or something. (laughs) You know, well, it's it's actually it's one of those fascinating things. It's something that so it's basically a time, and this this was true in almost every society except ours. There was a, a conscious moment where a young man was taken out of the community of childhood and invited into a community of men, where the, a group of men would play a disproportionate formative role through the adolescent years. And so in the book, I think it was actually softened and changed to the, uh, the phrase directional dinner, which is where a mother would point her son in the direction of uh, male formation and fatherhood. But it's basically a moment for a son, for a mother to acknowledge, hey, you are going to enter into a new kind of engagement and relationship with your father in this community of men. And the point of it is for them to be able to form you. And, um, you know, like there's a lot of psychological research on what ends up happening if like the childhood relationship with the mother is not healthily managed and there can be like unhealthy co-development and um, codependence and a lack of development. And so it's one of those things where the mother sort of says, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be cheering you on. I am for you, but you need to move consciously out of childhood into adulthood and this is a part of the process so yeah that's just like it's a ceremony of blessing where the mother recognizes this new stage in a a young person's journey and pushes them into the community that will do um, a disproportionate amount of that forming it's fascinating when i talked to my son you know he's 21 now and asked him like of all the things we did you know thousands of things I, i think over the years 
I said, what stood out to you? And he said, that severing dinner really did something for me psychologically. Like it <laughs> shook me a little bit and it made me realize I had to lean into my relationship with you. He said, I always found mum to be more comforting and you to be more challenging. So whenever things got hard, I went to mum for comfort. And he said, it was very, very important for me to learn. I had to learn to lean into the challenge and not just lean back into comfort. So I'm certainly not advocating uh, that mothers have some sort of reduced role in their kids' lives. Obviously, the gift of a mother is it's extraordinary. But there is an underappreciation for the formative power a father can have, particularly in those adolescent years, and the mother partnering with the husband uh, in the process of developing their kids. Very interesting as a mother. Um, my, my son is only four, but I, I, I'm just picturing an, an event that took place in our house the other day where my son was doing something wrong. My father, or my father, my husband <laughs> mm. um, got involved and he was the one who disciplined. And then, uh, of course, like you just said, he wanted to run back to mommy for comfort. But this time I sat back and walked away and cried in a corner <laughs> and listened to him. Yes. Yes, but it's challenge. It's challenging to uh, yeah. to do that. It's definitely challenging, and I'm only at year four, so. Well, let me tell you. Them. I mean, yeah, no, but I tell you, I mean, even you recognizing that is like is exceptional parenting on your part, because to to to, to defy the instinct, which always seeks to keep our kids in an, in a sort of like a childhood state, because the world is scary, and these are very confusing years. And, you know, we have a lot of control over the kids when they're small and sort of like sending them out into a culture like ours to figure out how to be adults can be terrifying. And so a lot of folks refuse to let go. But if you do that, and it's like later on, they will become angry or they won't be developed properly. So even having that instinct is something I applaud you for, even though I know it is so hard to do. <laughs> it is difficult. Um, you yeah. took your son to Australia. Tell us about that and what your goal was from that trip. Yeah, so one of the things I think is important, we, we live in a time of history which sometimes can feel ahistorical. And what I mean by that is very few of us live in the same towns where we grew up. We sort of, you know, move all over the country based on our jobs. So we can be, we can be cut off from multi-generational influence and kids may not know our family story. And, uh, you know, a lot of the entitlement in the teenage years comes from the fact that they think the world starts and ends with them. And so the goal is to help put their story in context. And all kids need to know. And if, if, if you don't tell them, they'll investigate it later. What were my family dynamics? Why did my parents act the way they were? What shaped them into the people they were? So I, yeah, I do this exercise uh, called putting your son's story in context. And, and I grew up in Australia. So I took my son to Australia so he could see the, the values that shaped me, the people that spoke into me. And uh, it was a very, very moving time. A, we did a lot of fun things, and there was a great bonding to sort of kick off our journey together. But he was able to see me not just as like an authority figure in his life, but someone who was once his age trying to navigate the complexity of these years and then hear some of the things that shaped me. And I, I wanted to break off some of that um, me generation, immediate entitlement. I don't care about anything that happened before. No, you're a part of a long tradition. You're part of a story that has broken parts and beautiful parts, and you need to understand how these have shaped our family and how I'm shaped and how I'm shaping you so that as you move forward into life, you'll be able to evaluate what it is you want to carry forward and understand about a family story. So it was a really rich time. Okay. Are you the perfect dad? You sound like the perfect dad to me. Have you got it all figured out now? (laughs) 
Oh, no. You know, I may be an intentional father, but I'm not a perfect father. You know, and <laughs> the only... On our best days, we are, we are dim shadows of the beauty of God the Father. On our, on our best days, you know, we're just a dim shadow of his, like, unfailing love and kindness towards us. So, no, I've made, I've made so many mistakes, mate. And so many of the things I write in the book were efforts to overcome my own brokenness, elements of my own story where things have, you know, been painful and struggled. So I, I, I want to be clear here. What I'm advocating for, I'm not trying to put a bunch of pressure on a dad where he's like, oh, I've got to do it. But I, I want him to feel like the fear of God, you know, like I, like this is a sober responsibility, but the beauty and possibility of this, and that always takes best in the community of other people. So to me, the dream scenario is, you know, a partnership or involvement with a local church, a wonderful student ministry, you know, where he's got, you know, P integration. It's an ecosystem of development that I think works best. And again, I think the key to it all is intentionality. It's it's prioritizing. It's moving towards by purpose rather than just default. It's not drifting along, but it's consciously paddling in a direction that you want to see your son and family move into. And anybody can do that. Anybody can move towards their kids with intentionality. And you never know what God will do uh, with that sort of intentionality in the young person's life. With your book, The Intentional Father, a Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character, um, what can people expect when they pick up that book? Well, um, I think they can expect like inspiration and practical help. You know, I write about my journey with the son, with my son, Nathan, and, you know, we did some really cool stuff that I think a lot of dads go, oh, this really jogged my, this really inspired my memory and, and like made me think about things I can do with my son. So I think there's a lot of inspiration, but it's like, it's practical tools. It's almost like a workshop which is like, here's what to do before you do this with your son. Here's how to kick this off. Here's what, what to do during the teenage years. Here's what to do to welcome him into manhood. It's very, very practical. So, yeah, inspiration and practicality. And to me, I think that's what dads need. They need to be encouraged and they need practical tools to be able to do it. So I think they'll get both of those things in this book. Those- I'm getting this book. <laughs> how do I get it? Where do I get it? <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, you get it anywhere. I mean, uh, you know, Amazon, um, you know, all the places they sell books. So, And if people want to learn about you, learn more about what you're doing, how can they go about doing that? Um, yeah, I just on social media. It's John Tyson, J-O-N-T-Y-S-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. Living that New York life through <laughs> the social medias. <laughs> Thank you so much for making time for us today. Yeah, no we'll worries. find you and follow along from the Canadian prairies, John. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It was great chatting with you folks. And thank you so much for listening today. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation again, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can also find plenty of other conversations there as well. You can find that podcast at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.